Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whichever the case may be. Wherever you are on this rotating globe, welcome to another live edition. Yeah, I'm here in the flesh tonight. Sorry about last night, but uh, those headaches are just, and nothing I do seems to affect them, and it's, it's been decades. Anyway, enough about me. Welcome to this really, really interesting night, because we've got a few of our imaging team members assembled. Uh, Andrew is with us. He hasn't been with us for some time. He has this incredible summer obsession with baseball. And tonight, actually, uh, for a little part of the show, we're going to talk about baseball. And I'm going to set up live on the air something that I think everyone will be, well, I hope everyone will be interested in. So uh, that's in the offing. We've got uh, Robert Morningstar, who has a sterling uh, credential background, including, you know, artificial intelligence and psychology and intelligence, imaging, you know, processing. Anyway, you can read all their bios. Ron Gerbron, our resident generalist, is going to be with us. And Andrew Curry, who, as you know, actually has a real job. He does uh, stuff for storyboards for Hollywood and commercials. And he also has a degree in art therapy. And you can read all their bios on the other side of midnight and I got all that out of the way because tonight I want to tackle something really interesting which has been kind of gnawing at me for several weeks. There's something really weird going on with NASA and it's more than the usual weirdness where they're hiding all the good stuff and when they put it out they don't comment. No, this is this is deeper. This uh, This indicates to me that we're coming up to some kind of breakpoint or crescendo or new phase or something and something else is not exactly happy and I will define all those terms as we kind of move through the evening and the morning but before we get to that let me direct all our new listeners because we always have new listeners dropping in from when I have done Coast or when I've done Clyde show um you want to go to the other side of midnight.com. That's our homepage. And click on tonight's banner there at the top where uh, Cynthia did a really elegant job. I love that motif. I, you know, because the background is a real NASA image. This is a real deep, deep, deep space image from the Webb Space Telescope, which we will uh, discuss in some detail tonight. I was able to allude to it uh, last Sunday at the end of the web presentation that we did. And then, of course, because I was uh, out of pocket last night, we reran that uh, show uh, last night. So you may have picked it up twice, but we didn't really have a chance to get into the implications of what we're seeing in this official image. And for those of you who have been complaining, and there were some people in email threads I saw during the week who said, I can't find the picture. Where's the NASA picture? I was concerned that maybe in a sudden rush of, oh my God, who put that out? NASA had just quietly killed the entire page uh, that contained these really remarkable images from the Webb telescope of Jupiter, an image that they weren't really thinking they might be able to get which they did and did brilliantly. So anyway, it's there. And we've got a link to the official NASA 
page featuring the images we're going to show you tonight so you will have unquestioned authority that they are, in fact, official, real NASA images. I mean, sometimes I know I kind of come off as a bit of a fanatic or obsessive about prominence, but in a world on the Internet where everything is now fair game, where any impossibly tall tale and absurd lie and totally, you know, ridiculous explanation is dead or guerre, I do like paper trails. I do like to go back to original sourcing because I'm kind of old-fashioned that way, and I like independent sources. And on the Internet, it's so easy to copy and copy and copy and copy and copy. So even if you find the same story on three different websites, you don't know that it's independent. You don't know they've done any homework at all. So, in fact, we're working quietly on my um, epistemology show. We're getting closer. Uh, We've kind of pinned down the guests that I want. The perfect guest, as you will see, and the only question now, of course, is um, his schedule. So, to be uh, announced at a future time. Um, so, what you want to do for you who are new to the show, you want to go to the other side of midnight.com. That's our URL. Click on that. That will take you to the home page. You will see at the top of the home page a rather nice banner with this astonishing, the more I look at it, the more I'm astonished, official NASA image which they put forward, they actually, you know, kind of put it out there and said, look, look, without, of course, saying, look, look. So that's the background for our blurb and banner tonight. And right under it, uh, when, when you click on that, it will take you to the guest page. And then you will find that same banner at the top of that page. Scroll down just a teensy weensy bit right under where it says to listen to the show. Then it says guest page. Then it says fast links to items. Click on my name. That's a fast link that Kinthea invented to take you directly to the key items on the page so you don't have to scroll and scroll and scroll and, you know, all that. Item number one, right there at the top. The teams are pressing ahead for the Artemis One launch, now scheduled for late August. They're literally looking at um, uh, 829, the 29th of August, which is a month and a few days away. And they've got backup dates. If you click on that link, you can see what the team is doing. They have fixed some of the little niggling problems with seals that uh, came up during the uh, uh, countdown demonstration test, the what they call the wet test. Why wet? Well, it's because where they fill the tanks with fuel and oxidizer and sit there and count down to within a few seconds of zero. And then instead of launching, they recycle everything, drain the tanks, and they look at all their data, and that's how they decide whether the rocket is ready to fly. And aside from these very minor leaks, were, which were basically in ground support equipment, that is the uh, piping and hosing that attaches from the ground and the launch platform to the SLS rocket, this extraordinary almost Saturn V, but not quite, uh, which is going to send the Artemis spacecraft to the moon and bring it back. They are basically ready, and there is on the 5th, they're scheduled in Houston a major press conference, which of course will also be on NASA television, so you don't have to be in Houston. I would recommend very strongly following all this carefully, because this mission, when it launches which will, in place of crew, have three 
mannequins lying in the seats, instrumented, you know, for g-forces and acceleration and all that good stuff. Um, they will be duplicating, in essence, the trajectory of the man version or the human version of this mission, which will take place uh, probably within a year of this unmanned flight. Now, you might ask yourself, well, why don't they fly more often? And the answer, of course, is money. This mission alone is going to cost a couple of billion dollars just to send an unmanned spacecraft on a two-week, very elongated orbit around the moon. So because of the incredible price of the SLS, which is the official U.S. government rocket to go back to the moon, as opposed to Elon Musk, who, of course, is building a, an extraordinary 21st century uh, uh, transportation system for a fraction of the cost of NASA, I wonder if we could take side bets on how long the SLS is actually going to uh, be funded and perform before Congress kind of gets the idea, wait a minute, maybe there's a better way. Maybe we should call Musk. I mean, he's already involved in Artemis in terms of the ultimate landing on the moon. And if there is a uh, moon base established at the lunar South Pole, which is the objective, then flying the SLS, which is incredibly expensive compared to uh, Musk's Starship, I just think that it's going to quietly give way and there's going to be no big fanfare and no retirement party, but basically we're going to ultimately in the next couple of years be going to and from the moon in Musk's Starship, the SpaceX Starship, as opposed to the SLS. But maybe that's just me and we'll have to find out. Anyway, um, there are a lot of other developments we're going to talk about tonight that are connected to this Artemis mission back to the moon. Because as you know, given that these missions now, unlike Apollo, are going to be instrumented from stem to stern with incredible high-res, high-def digital imaging systems, both for stills and video and live downlinks and HD and all that amazing stuff, it's going to be really hard if NASA follows the normal protocol which is the, uh, you know, photograph the hell out of everything, it's going to be very hard to hide for much longer the ruins on the moon. I mean, you know that I have been working for many years. Probably, if I went and actually did the calculation, it's probably more than 15 years on the data indicating overwhelmingly that there are ancient ruins on the moon of an extraordinary nature. They're made of glass. They are miles high. They are not everywhere, but they're certainly in enough places on the moon so that even the unmanned Artemis One mission, as it photographs the moon, and if you're orbiting the moon for two weeks, what else are you going to do? They cannot help but return stunning images, which maybe even to the average viewer will pop out as what in the world is that over there? And we will see. Um, be that as it may, there's a whole bunch of things around the Artemis program, this return to the moon, including the NASA idea to take the first woman and the first American of color. Um, there are things floating around behind that program that I, I, I think are part of our title tonight because... I'm seeing some very strange 
shall we say, hints of behind-the-scenes threats. So maybe on Artemis we will not get the wall-to-wall imagery and television and high-def video and all the good stuff that we should be getting. And it will be interesting if that, in fact, happens to, uh, to see what excuses they drag out of the old closet to try to parade in front of us. Well, item number two there under the first item about Artemis. The web images are in. The initial ones are stunning. They followed a day or so later with another set, including, um, because they could not have too much of a good thing, the um, uh, web images taken of Jupiter. Now, these were not originally meant to be part of the July 12th release package because, well, they didn't know frankly, whether they'd be good enough. One of the key problems with photographing objects in the solar system as opposed to galaxies far, far away is that they move, and they're close, and they move relatively fast uh, by astronomical standards, certainly by very sophisticated, very precisely aimed uh, space telescope standards. So one of the problems that they had and questions that was unresolved until they actually were in space, fully up and functional and could could perform the experiment, was literally could they take really incredibly high-res infrared images of Jupiter or with its incredible brightness, remember, there's a 21-foot primary mirror for this damn telescope. I mean, come on, imagine how many photons a 21-foot mirror collects for the instruments at the uh, proper focal range. So they didn't know whether Jupiter, frankly, would be so bright that it would kind of fuzz out the tracking cameras and instrumentation, and they would be unable to track this very bright, very hazy in the infrared object. Well, it turned out they could. In fact, they did so much better than the fastest speed they calculated that they can even photograph objects orbiting the sun well inside the orbit of Mars, which moves at about 30 milli-arc seconds per second. A milli-arc second is one thousandth of a second of arc, which is one percentage of a minute of arc, which of course is one three-sixtieth of a you know full circle of 360 degrees. So, um, item number three. One of the things that's definitely on my to-do list, as well as obviously all the uh, the web folks, is to take data on the most extraordinary planetary system that that NASA has discovered um, in all of its history certainly going back to 1995 when the first uh, exoplanets were discovered by that uh, team out of Switzerland and then confirmed by the folks at the uh, University of San Francisco, all using, of course, big telescopes from the ground. And then, of course, there have been a variety of space telescopes like uh, Spitzer and, we can't forget, Hubble, which have done some work, but really exoplanetary studies, which wasn't even a field of science, when Webb was a twinkle in the eyes of some of the most crazy astronomers back in 1989 at that first meeting, 33 symbolic years ago this summer, note the 33, that will come up again tonight, 
fact, it probably will come up several times. Anyway, what they've had in mind, given that the whole field of exoplanets was not even a field in 89, by 95, by the late 90s, it had been factored into the design of this, what they then called the Next Generation Space Telescope, ultimately decided to be an infrared telescope because there's so much you can do in the infrared you cannot do in the visible, mainly because the universe, most of it is rushing away from us at close to the speed of light when you're over 13, 12, 10 billion light years out, which means anything you see in the visible that's close by, close being what, a billion light years, is really pushed into the infrared by the Doppler effect. So you need an infrared telescope to basically see what you're missing far away in the visible region of the spectrum where high energy stuff can go on. So cosmologically, Webb was tuned to look at the infrared. Now there's many, many, many different bands or colors in the infrared just because you can't see them doesn't mean they're not real colors, real spectral shifts, real vibrational changes of, of uh, uh, resonating atoms and molecules and all that. So um, you can assign the infrared spectrum colors just like you can the visible. And so that's what these gorgeous color pictures are. They're, they're kind of like downshifted color. You know musicians when they say, uh, give me something in the key of G. Well, someone else might sing it in the key of, of C. So think of the infrared colors as merely downshifted octaves if you were equating visible light and infrared energy to the audio spectrum, you know, vibrations that the ear picks up in a medium like air. Okay, so they are planning to do a real number on the TRAPPIST system, which is 39, twice 19.5 light years away. Yeah, that's a coincidence. And it's aligned perfectly so the Earth orbiting the Sun around what's called the ecliptic, its orbit, sees the TRAPPIST-1 system edge on. And the TRAPPIST-1 system, as opposed to our solar system, which consists of a G-type yellow, very bright star, and rocky planets, in toward the sun and gas giants far away from the sun separated by something called the asteroid belt which to a lot of people uh, used to look like the destroyed remnants of another planet and to the modern folks is merely a, a debris field because jupiter prevented a planet from being born there and frankly i am betting on the former as opposed to the latter and it's too bad that tom van planard isn't around because he did some really amazing work which showed that really the asteroid belt is not a planet that couldn't get its act together. It's in fact the vanishing remains of a planet that sometime in the distant past blew itself and its material to kingdom come leaving a fragment of its mass as a bunch of little chunks and big chunks floating around in what's called the asteroid belt. Anyway, uh, the TRAPPIST system is very, 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 I could go on, very different. For one thing, the sun is missing. The central star in the TRAPPIST system is not a G-type star like the sun. It's a tiny M-type star, which is like one ten thousandth the brightness, uh, and that's for heavy ones, of the sun. And it will last hundreds of billions of years, 
unlike the sun's five billion years, give or take, to burn its uh, hydrogen fuel in the center. Burning is a metaphor. There's no real burning going on in the sun. It's a thermonuclear process of smashing atoms together in the models. And last but not least, um, the solar system orbiting TRAPPIST-1, this little M-type dwarf, which is barely a twinkle in comparison to the sun's brilliance, it's orbited by seven Earth-like planets. Not only Earth-like in that they're all about the same size as Earth and about the same mass as Earth, but they're within the habitable zone around the star, bunched in really, really close within a few million miles, uh, not like Mercury or Venus or Earth, and Earth, of course, is 93 million. They're all inside, if you put them side by side, and you can see in the diagram there in number three, our solar system is on the bottom, the Trappist system is on the top. Look at all these, all seven Earth-type planets, and they're all orbiting within the habitable zone. In fact, the middle three are really from the Venus orbit out to Earth's orbit, and those are potentially the most habitable, and there's the ones that are going to be focused on by Webb, because what we can do that we could never do before or do with extraordinary difficulty is we can literally, we can literally use the Webb telescope to look at the planets as they cross the disk of their sun, their little M-type dwarf star. And you would see, if you were enough, an eclipse. You would see a little dot moving across the star. Well, of course, even Webb is not big enough to do that yet. Maybe some great-great-granddaughter of Webb will someday. I mean, in space, why couldn't you have a telescope with a mirror a mile across? I mean, imagine a mirror a mile across composed just like webs of multiple subunits all carefully focused maybe orbiting together maybe loosely station keeping with anyway it's 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 an incredible vision the other thing would be you put two webs on opposite sides of the solar system because the light collection goes up as the uh, square of the mirror size area square area whereas the resolution only depends on the absolute size of the mirror. So if you take two webs and put them on opposite sides of the solar system, separated by, let's say, uh, um, 200 million miles, roughly the Earth's orbit on our side of the sun and the Earth's orbit on the other side of the sun, and you use some kind of relay spacecraft to send laser beam information between the two, you could create a synthetic telescope that would have the resolution of a 200 million mile wide mirror. Now that's even appropriate to my friend Arthur Clarke. And it's doable with current technology. Well, maybe another five years they would actually get the chops up to, to want to do that. But can you imagine the resolution of a web twin literally parked a 200 million miles away beaming coherent light information back and forth with lasers. In other words, it will be left for the audience to calculate the resolution of such a super, super, super interferometric telescope. But I would bet dollars to navy beans that not only would we be able to see planets, 
the planets of TRAPPIST-1 orbiting in front of the star as little disks moving across the reddish, incredible background of the M-type dwarf, but we might even have the resolution to see continents and clouds, and if they're inhabited, the cities on the night side. I mean, once you get started with this, and once you realize space is the place, the place, for heavy, super planetary industrial engineering, there literally is no limit, even roughly within contemporary technology. Which brings us to item number four. And given that we've got about five minutes at the bottom of the hour, let me, let me kind of set the stage here. When the web people, the day after the official image release on the 12th, which was a Tuesday of July, they quietly released more images uh, that were taken during the commissioning, the six-month commissioning phase before the final you know, proclamation of the telescope is now ready for science. They took a bunch of engineering images, and so when everything went so swimmingly well for the release date with those five really historic images, they then looked around and they said, well, what else can we release? And they realized they had some pretty amazing images of Jupiter, which, in fact, had worked uh, against the engineering predictions of some of the more negative engineers associated before, who thought the, it, Jupiter would be too bright to be tracked and all that. Well, the tracking turned out to be superb. So if you click on number four, this is kind of like the click, click, the kickoff image uh, for our entire evening. Because the more you look at that image, in fact, it's two images, it's a shorter wave uh, uh, infrared and a longer wave infrared image taken obviously, not simultaneously, but unknown minutes or even hours apart. How do we know that? Because some of the details in the image on the left have disappeared in the image on the right and in terms of the infrared colors, if they were there, they should still be there. So, what happened? Well, obviously, in the time interval between the two images, things moved. I mean, look at Europa, compare it carefully on the two images, and you'll see in the second image on the right, it's slightly farther away from Jupiter than it is in the image on the left. The same with a couple of, of moons there. Notice that they've got some of the objects named, there's Thebe, there's uh, Metis, or, or Metis, which is a little tiny moon uh, there on the right, hugging the, the ring. You can see the ring of Jupiter very nicely in the image uh, on the right, which is longer wavelengths. So uh, you can also see it in the image on the left, but not exactly as well. And then there's some really weird anomalies that not only are not designated by the NASA annotators, but they're not discussed at all. It's like they're on the image, NASA put the image out there, and yet they don't say anything about all the anomalies or interesting objects on the image, which is, for NASA, completely, you know, they've, they've never done that. As far as I can remember, they tabulate, they list everything on the image so that, you know, dumb space science reporters uh, simply look at the image and know what they're looking at and don't have to look anything up. Because, of course, reporters, particularly in the era of the Internet, are working incredibly tight deadlines 
So you do not want to have to waste time trying to find something when the uh, data could be present easily on whatever uh, um, you know data block that NASA chooses to put with the image. Well, on this image, if you look and look and look, you won't find tabulations for more than two or three very mysterious additional features, which I've spent a lot of time now kind of trying to figure out. And I think I have figured out what's going on. And it's going to knock your socks off. Well, we're at the bottom of the hour. Uh, it's time to take a break. And I thought apropos of the 53rd anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission, which is in fact when um, NASA this week chose to announce its launch date for our return spacecraft and rocket to the moon. Here's old Frank Sinatra with an old favorite. Hold my hand In other words Baby, kiss me And let me sing forevermore You are all I long for All I worship and adore In other words Please be true Saturday, no, it's Sunday night on the 24th of July, 2022. And yes, as Frank said, we love you.
Okay, um, let me introduce my cast of thousands. Actually, it's what, three or four or five. Uh, Robert Morningstar, come on down. Are you there, Robert? Greetings. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> okay. I'm, and... I was setting the long delayed echo and I had a long delayed reaction to, wow, the, wow. Okay. to the mic. Andrew, Andrew Curry, are you there? I am present and ready. Super. Ron, have you joined us? Yes, I've been here. Excellent. And of course, we have Keith yeah. there in the uh, uh, down in engineering. And yeah, I'm uh, here. Okay. And Ruggiero, are you here? Mr. Ruggiero. Uh, he's not here yet. Ah, okay. Well, it's it's early. It's crack of dawn time, and he's a late night guy, so he will join us uh, presently. Okay. Um. I, I want to start with this bizarre web image because I've been looking at it and the more I see, the more, well, that's not really grammatically correct. The weirder it gets. I was going to say the more weird it gets, but it's really weird. And I want to know, has anybody spotted the other weirdness, which is really bizarre, that is sitting there right in front of everybody and even I didn't see it and I look at this stuff a lot. So anybody want to, take a stab at the second weirdness besides the big black geometric thing uh, between Europa and the limb of Jupiter. Yeah, I'd like to take a shot because I've been uh, really going over the geometry and the perspective. Okay. And what I, what I find most intriguing is the speckle, the black speckles. Oh, yes, yes. That we see around that central band right above the great red spot. And then there's that black, there are these black uh, spots on Jupiter itself. But what I'm talking about are the speckles that are the float. I'm calling them the floaters, right? Remember, yeah. as we were looking at the object, I said that it looked like some kind of construction was going on with uh, not pieces of a shattered satellite, but building blocks of some huge space station. And now with these, this lateral view, that uh, you released uh, tonight with the enhanced photos. The entire planet is ringed by these speckled black dots. Except, and when you look, Robert, when you look hey, at the comparison. On, except, yeah, how do you know they're at Jupiter's distance? I am not saying that they are at Jupiter's distance because I think they're in orbit around Jupiter. That's so, Jupiter's distance. Jupiter well, is half a billion miles away. Let's assume have, let's assume they're orbiting a million miles away from Jupiter. That's still yeah. half a billion miles away. Remember, a million is one one thousandth of a billion. So mm -hmm. they're the, well, at, they're obstructing the light from Jupiter, which uh, means say, which, which means, means that they are between the telescope. They're and somewhere the between Webb and Jupiter, and yeah. my bet is they're a hell of a lot closer to Webb which is a million mm -hmm. miles behind us away from the sun, than they are, you know, close to Jupiter. Because yeah. if they were at all close to Jupiter, that black geometric object there between Europa and the limb of Jupiter is bigger than Europa, which is like a couple of, you know, thousand miles across. Yeah, So that's exactly. not tenable. Now, the specs, see, you see specs, you see construction, I see de destruction. The reason yeah. being that if you look at the right-hand image, there are mm -hmm. speckles all over it. Yes, and, I saw that. I and those that speckles, well. I think, are are expanding a expanding debris field 
from something tried to blow this geometric object up and you're seeing successive shells of material coming off and of course the earliest stuff spreads farthest and the last stuff is closest and you can see a concentration of black specks near the geometric object which looks yeah. conical and cylindrical it's it's symmetrical it it does it can't be an asteroid for one thing it could also be it could also oh the object could not uh, cannot be an asteroid but i'm talking about the speckles it could also be a satellite system yeah but the speckles or, are concentrating uh, around the black object so there's no, a focal I'm point. About the ones that are all around the planet. Well, they're We're just in our model. They, they the, just drifted further away, but there's a concentration around the black object. They come from the black object in this yeah. model, and yeah. of course, with good science, you have to have predictions, which is that if this object was moving, like everything is moving, and they were trying to track Jupiter to see if they could counteract the the, the motion. Between the first and the second image, what's missing, obviously missing in the second picture? The one on the right. There's no well, black, the black object. object. The black object's not yeah, there. Yeah, it obviously all. moved. But the speckles are still there. Which means Well, I don't know. Let's say wait. You said we you said these are taken at two different frequencies of light. Yeah. So perhaps the object is there, but it's not reflecting that frequency. No, 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 light. no, 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 no. Because of the physics of infrared, no. If it was visible, if it was there, it should be visible on both images that they were taken simultaneously. We know the one on the left was a 75 second image. So just uh -huh. slightly over a minute. Uh, that was part of some caption that NASA released. Anyway, <sighs> let me let me move on because this gets really intriguing uh, as you get more data. So now look at number five. All right. This is an image, same image on the on the left and the one above, but they've really blown it out. They've exposed it over, over you know, really overexposed it, so you can right. see that the this object is just hanging out there in the ring plane of Jupiter, but mm -hmm. it's kind of like a selfie somewhere between the Webb and Jupiter. My bet is it's extraordinarily close. Otherwise, it has to be incredibly big. And for everybody on the planet and NORAD and the mm -hmm. president not to declare DEFCON 5 and all that, if something this big wandered into the solar system, no, it appears well, to have brought, been... You brought up a good point here because now we can have a guesstimate, a pretty accurate guesstimate or more accurate guesstimate than before because you just mentioned this ring of uh, Jupiter and it's, it's really cool that the ring is inside the image. This image is not inside that ring. So at least if you know the uh, radius of that ring around Jupiter, we can now start to build a little three-dimensional Yeah, but uh, again, you don't know the distance to the black anomaly, the black object. Yeah, but at space. least we know that it's at least one ring away. And so no, 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 you don't. No, no. All it is is we know it's in the ring plane, but it could be anywhere between Jupiter and here. There's no third dimension yet. There's no data that tells us other than common sense that it can't be a spacecraft the size of Europa because every alarm bell on, on Earth would be going off and nothing, nothing. Amateurs would be reporting it and they haven't, right? No, I think this was a spacecraft piloted by someone, let's assume ETs for a moment, and they carefully positioned it so it would be between Jupiter 
and the telescope when they took the picture. How did they manage all that? Well, if they're part of the, what I call, extended family, in other words, ETs are just human beings who happen to hang their hat in a different place, maybe even in a different solar system, <clears throat> they probably have people, agents, working for NASA and working for Webb, and you can't tell them without a scorecard. They look yeah. normal. So they you changed your mind. You changed your mind. Your original uh, thesis was that this was the lift vehicle that had gone beyond and had carried on toward Jupiter. Oh, absolutely, so, absolutely. Because now, it is it is mangled. It is not a pristine uh, um, Ariane upper stage. So it's either <clears throat> something like that that's been really damaged that could still mm -hmm. be you know an operative model. Or it's something totally foreign. Yeah, totally. I alien. think it's ET personally. I agree. It's an ET. It's not. Uh, it's not an Earth. And I think someone carefully parked briefly to send a selfie to NASA. Because remember, only NASA got these images. Then someone mm -hmm. in NASA made the decision to make them all public, but with zero comment. I have been right. covering NASA. I've been a consultant to NASA for decades. I have never known NASA to resist an opportunity to explain everything in a picture, down to you know naval lint. In this case, there are two really amazing objects that they don't talk about. This is one. So let let's continue because I think it, the story gets even more interesting now. Number six. What I've done here is I've arrayed them side by side. Uh, the one on the left is just an enlargement of number five. The one on the right is where I expose, overexpose, just blew up the, uh, the, the brightness to where I could see into the, the blackness. Given that if you look very carefully at the left-hand image, you'll see some of those little black dots. <clears throat> I have white on one edge and it's black on the other, that is yes. sunlight. That's reflections of sunlight with shadows in the correct geometry because the sun is coming slightly, not from just behind the camera, behind the, the web telescope, but somewhat to the left. So you're not looking yeah. at a full Jupiter. You're looking at a very shallow gibbous Jupiter. And you can tell that if you go back and look at image number five, because those but, but, but Richard, this is a fantastic uh, discovery of yours. I don't think you've seen it, but you brought out a character that's written inside that uh, inside that black body. Well, hang yeah, on, hang on, hang on. It looks like a Chinese character. You're looking at the right-hand version. Let me tell you what I did, and then yeah. we can talk about whether it's real or, or Memorex. All I did was to brighten the image on the left and make it a companion so it's now the twin on the right. And when I, I did that, I expected, given that this is in brilliant sunlight, I couldn't understand why it's so damn dark. It's like it's absorbing all energy from the sun, which no normal object, certainly in the infrared, would do. There'd be some reflection because we're close enough to visible at these uh, uh, near-cam wavelengths that basically the surface, whatever it is, is going to reflect light just like another color. You know, we're not dealing well, with thermal. We were discussing the, the photo before and uh, saying why it's not visible in, in a certain picture. The thought came to my mind of black bodies that absorb the heat or become heat sinks uh, or transform it. 
Yeah, but, but no natural object would do that, and the missing object in the in the right hand image, at, at on the two panel way above, two two images above, says no, that's not what's going on. It moved. It's gone in that second mm-hmm. image, which means it was not taken simultaneously, but taken minutes or maybe an hour. We don't know the right. time frame because they don't give us the data. Here's yeah. what's important. When you blow out, when you overexpose that black version on the left, you get the reddish version on the right with some geometry. Now, when I, when I looked at that, that to me, and Ron, you can come in here if you want to, as an imaging expert, to me, that looks like an overlay, a paint overlay designed to obscure and hide the actual geometric detail on the sun side of this object. Ron, yes, no, maybe? Did we lose Ron? Mr. Gerbron, are you there? Keith, is he with us? Yes, I had to unmute. I had to unmute. It's going to be on people's tombstones. He forgot to unmute. (laughs) Go ahead. So am I looking at some kind of overlay that NASA used to paint the detail that basically, if you unless you look at it in extraordinary uh, amplification, it just looks black. And did we lose Ron again? I guess he's we... still connected. Oh, now he's gone. Okay. So Robert. Yeah, uh, I do. Hang I on, hang on, hang on, is... hang on, hang yeah. on. Let me phrase the question. Sure. As opposed to my interpretation of Ron's, that this is just, you know, the the geometric signature of painting in Photoshop. You say that that is a specific Chinese character. Well, maybe whoever did the no, painting. I, I say a structure that looks like a Chinese character. To me, the bottom section, the, the two horizontal connected with the upright is good, which, yeah. which means work. But uh, it's got a head. I mean, it's really extreme to say it. That it's a Chinese character, but okay, I okay. do believe it's architecture. I was, I was hoping you would be able to translate it. So back to Ron. You're with us. Ron, Gong, right? work. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out which specific I've been following this. I'm number just not six. Sure. Are you... Number six. The right-hand image in number six. Oh, okay. So you want me to scroll back up to there. Nine, eight, seven, six. Um, the, uh, I don't know why that uh, it looks like that. How's that? Well, expand. Why don't you know why? To me, it looked like a classic example when NASA paints things out. Like, for instance, they paint out all the sky over the moon so the structures don't stick up and scatter sunlight. And if you look along the horizon, you'll see a whole bunch of geometric little thingies where they use a, a kind of a clip tool to just expunge the background and make it black. But they don't do it really carefully so you can see between the horizon of the moon and space above it that they literally cut out any detail above the moon. That's what this looks like. It looks like some artificial geometric overlay of the of whatever program they used to basically paint out or mask the detail on the sun side of this geometric object. Richard, I think mm. that they imprinted a microchip on it because there's far more information on this that you've drawn out. First, there's the light bars that look like a Chinese character, but I'm standing in front of a... 42-inch screen and have it really in great resolution. And there are other uh, 
highlights of red circuitry. I would, I say this thing looks like a microchip. A microchip. Yeah, I think it looks more like a circuit. It looks more like a circuit layout than a, yeah, a, 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 a Chinese character. Well, that's yeah, but still, these the, are these have to be illusions if the object is even human scale, meaning it's an upper stage that someone placed a few miles away from Webb to do a, a, a photobombing selfie because they were trying to impart a higher level message. And I'll get to what that message is in a minute. Mm. Yeah, in, I don't know. I, th I think it's just uh, they chose a method of enhancement that was quick and easy and didn't uh, cause them any more problems. But as, far, as to the object itself, I just want to say I still think it reminds me more of Phobos. I know it's shaped like a capsule, but I think it's bigger than that. And I think it's one of those discarded ships that's floating around in the solar system. And that the, the black things around it look like the kind of debris you would find from a crippled ship. Okay, the only so problem with that is as you move from Jupiter in toward the sun, so you can decide arbitrarily how far away it is I'm saying a few miles, if it's human scale, if it's like the upper stage of, a, of an Earth rocket. The velocity differential between Jupiter and this object would be so great that you'd get one of them, but you wouldn't get both of them in the same shot, and they wouldn't be sharp or crisp. This object is crisp. It's not blurred. It's not smeared. It's an absolutely froze it, and we know that it's a 75-second exposure, gentlemen, which means it had to be in motion. So how can it be frozen in a 75-second image? Who wants to take that one? Well, it's not moving very fast. No, it would be. If it's closer than Jupiter, it's moving faster than Jupiter. Kepler's laws, okay? Which means it would be a hopeless smear. Whatever did this, whoever put this there, station kept it to counteract with some super intelligence feedback system so they could exactly match the resolution specs of web. That's why the more you look at this, the more impossible it gets. This is not an accident. This wasn't photobombing by accident. This wasn't an asteroid kind of just crossing the field of view, all of which would be smeared. This was a deliberate station-keeping target that was placed between Webb and Jupiter for a message. And I think, Robert, the message is in the cloud of black speckles. Yes. Yeah, I don't... Uh, I, I oh, don't black goo you. in outer space. Say again? It's a black goo in outer space. You know, the legend of the black goo, graphene oxide, yeah, intelligent, yeah, yeah. intelligent liquid. Oh, yeah, the X-Files thing. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> There actually uh, was a I, whole movie uh, written about uh, astronauts that go to Mars, land, and come back infected by something like the black goo long before yeah. Chris Carter. Chris Carter probably saw the movie. It's not a bad movie, yeah, it's, actually. Yeah, It's a meme. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I have a slightly different tack before. Uh, I'll give it back to you in a second, Robert. I, I just, uh, I, how many pictures... He asks, uh, hypothetically, uh, have you all seen of uh, from JPL and anybody else that's dealing with telescopic images uh, where they group together a bunch of things? You know, I have a poster that's got all the all the prominent asteroids. Oh, right, right. What's her name? Emily Lakadawala used to do brilliant work in that field. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a common thing, as is uh, masking 
to protect detail as much as obscure it, which they often which they often do, uh, because you know to the the astronomer mindset, uh, the black space is black space. That's not what you're taking a picture of. And so if you have a uh, something that shows that you have overlaid some enhancement on the prominent image item, uh, then they don't care about those edges. You know, they're not making a calendar picture. It's, it's data. But in this case, I think it could be a sandwich. It, uh, I think that, yeah, you're right about the relative motion and um, the fact that it would be moving and if it's much closer to earth which i think it is uh it but why does uh, it have you know, to be moving why does it why is canada be just a stationary object we don't know but it could be uh, pretty much well, 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 wait, 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 what, what do you mean stationary closer, what, what do you mean what, robert what do you mean stationary nothing in space is stationary we're assuming that it's orbiting jupiter no but, we're not uh, yeah. i'm assuming no, it's no, orbiting it's the sun much closer than say stationary relative to the webb telescope's perspective no, i i think i know what he means yeah it's closer to the earth as in it's closer to the l2 point where exactly uh, webb yes is yes and even that, then but, it would be moving relative to webb and it would be smeared because nothing is standing still. And that's why they build in a tracking. And apparently, as opposed to just six, uh, 30 uh, millis arc seconds per second, which is a very, very incredibly tiny angle, they can do as mm-hmm. fast as 67 milli arc seconds, which means they can track things orbiting the sun well inside Jupiter, but certainly not in the halo in the L2 no. region. But my reference... Yeah, Ron was an exception. Yeah. What? I agree. He, he mentioned the word masking, which yeah. is yeah. Uh, notorious. So this actually, if, if it's that, they could just have cut out that area like that arbitrarily and blacked it in and put in that patch to hide what's, what's there. Well, why, I don't why, think they hid why, anything. Why? I think they were adding it. That's uh, that's all I'm trying to get well, out here. What do you mean? Uh, at, well, that, but, but define your terms. What do you mean? At, you mean they literally... Well, I'm, stuck- trying, I'm, I'm trying, but between the, the bad phone connection and the... Um, everything else it's it's very simple uh they took the best picture they could of the thing which is where it looks like it is even though it's uh it's superimposed over the picture of jupiter i don't know what you mean are you saying they literally much closer to the earth yeah they took the pit they took the best possible picture there and it's not it's not moving much so the the problems of relative motion and blur and motion blurring and stuff would be completely different obviously than from the Jupiter picture. So upon I don't understand the what you I don't of, understand what you just said at all. It's two images. There's an image of the No, background. no, 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 no. That would violate NASA's first rule, which is don't get caught doing this. If they put out a web image and some enterprising reporter, note the pun, found out that they had taken two pictures and put the black thing over as a composite, the overexposed Jupiter image. No way, they'd be hung, they'd be fried. You know, no. I'm not this saying is... that it's not there. If you were with your eyeballs able to see that all of this, right. you would see the black thing in the foreground, relatively speaking, and Jupiter at that particular aspect in right. the background. And they simply, uh, but they take lots of pictures. No, they didn't. No, they took one engineering image. This was it. And they hauled it out of the drawer because they weren't going to, they didn't think it was ready for prime time. And with the overwhelming positive reaction of the three 
previous five images on the day before, on Wednesday they released this one image with several additional versions. It's all the same image, Mm -hmm. and they did not take two pictures and super them over each other. No, 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 no. So Okay, so they took that option. Back to this problem. That object, that geometric object that looked to me incredibly geometric, particularly like a cone with a mangled cylinder behind it, kind of almost like the old uh, command module and uh, uh, service module lunar you know, combination, except mangled. If they took it all simultaneously, why is the sun side, the side of the geom- geometric anomaly that we're seeing, why is it pitch black? There's no detail. And when you, you know, overexpose it, you get that weird microchip geometry that Ron alludes to. Or maybe, maybe, maybe Robert. Chinese characters that Robert alludes to. But there's no detail that you'd expect given that these other moons at Jupiter, which is literally half a billion miles further away in my model, they're brightly lit in the infrared and you can see them blatantly. So why this object pitch black? Uh, they have numerous times when t- NASA when talking about uh, and associated agencies, when talking about asteroids, pointed out, even though they'll show you something that has detail that they managed to punch up enough that you could see it, uh, they say the basic color of these things is usually pitch black. And we're talking carbon black. We're talking as black as black can be. And uh, the picture of the two or so pictures of... it's not an asteroid. It cannot be an asteroid. Well, most of the asteroids are, br- are busted up ships as well. I'm just using that as it their nomenclature. It still cannot be an asteroid. It well, can, it can be a ship. But it still can't be black. Why be- not? Because the other stuff that's black in the image is actually bright. What if it's a stealth technology? Ah, Robert yeah. gets the golden stealth prize. We're yeah, talking about an act. We're talking about we're talking spirit. about something that's radar. We're talking about something that's stealth technology, that is absorbing energy, that's designed to be spooky and sneaky, and it got caught, and they clobbered it, and that's where all the debris is coming from. Now, this is all presuming that we're looking at two sides, somebody who was approaching, somebody who didn't want them to approach, and whacked them. What if it's all part of the same very staged tableau and it's only one side that's doing all this. Tell you what, hold it there. We're at the top of the hour. My guests this morning are so far Ron Gerbron and Robert Morningstar. Keith lurking in the background. Ruggiero's going to join us shortly. And Andrew has been mysteriously silent. So when we come back, we're going to ask his um, opinion. And then I'm going to spring my next discovery in this same image on you. And I guarantee... It gets even weirder. You're on the other side of midnight. I'm trying to figure out tonight, is NASA being blackmailed? And this image, when you understand what you're seeing and what other little thing happened to Webb in the last two months that was not supposed to happen, the blackmail model, unfortunately, makes a lot of sense. You're on the other side of midnight. 
My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports, We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.